We stay together. We survive. We survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Communicate. Stick together. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. 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 You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Carolyn Clark and Sean Randall. Carolyn is the VP of Employee Experience Strategy and Transformation at Simpler, where she elevates the employee experience by driving innovation and revitalizing communication. Sean is the editor-in-chief of digital publications at Lamb Research and founder of Mr. Editorial, a mixternal communications newsletter. In this episode, Amanda, Carolyn, and Sean take on the vast world of AI. They discuss how they use tools like ChatGPT in their everyday lives, the role AI plays in internal communications, and security and ethics concerns in this new landscape. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Carolyn Clark, Sean Randall, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Carolyn and Sean, thank you so much for joining me today. So good to be here. Pleasure and a privilege. Yeah, I want to jump right in. I want to spend as much time as we can talking today. We're going to look at chat GPT and AI because it's all over the place, right? It's in the news. It's all over social. I even had a notification pop up this morning about chat GPT and AI from the New York Times that industry events, conferences, you cannot escape it. So today's podcast, we're going to focus on chat GPT and AI and how that's affecting the landscape and internal communications, HR employee experience for better or for worse. So I want to start off first, though, by letting the listeners know something. As I was thinking about this podcast and what I wanted to ask the both of you on here today, the idea hit me. Ask ChatGPT what I should be asking you. (laughs) So that's what listeners are going to get. They're going to get questions from ChatGPT and then some of my own. So just just wanted to preface that. And I bring that up, Kellen, because I work with you at Simpler, and you've really shown me some of the really cool stuff you're working on with ChatGPT. And Sean, I spent the weekend reading the first part of your series on Mr. Editorial. It's titled Intellicoms, a practical series on using AI in corporate communications. You just published the first part. And I, I read it over the weekend. I want to tell our listeners how informative it is. Anyone who's listening should check it out on Mr. Editorial website. But the first line of that series really struck me. And I want to just reiterate it and then get to you, Sean. It, it starts off and it says, one day not far in the future, we will refer to life before and life after chat GPT. I believe the release of this generative artificial intelligence platform in November 2022 was a watershed moment in human creativity and innovation akin to the introduction of the affordable personal computer and maybe as disruptive as the printing press. So Sean, let's start with you. 
right? What is chat GPT? I feel like we hear that phrase so much, but can you sort of help define it for our listeners? Yeah, the boring answer is that it's an artificial intelligence language model that's been trained on a vast array of text. It's been designed to understand and generate human-like responses based on the inputs it receives. The more interesting answer is that you can think of it as a virtual assistant that can engage in conversations with you. It can understand your questions, statements, and prompts, as long as you're using natural language, and then provide coherent responses and generate text that's contextually appropriate and sort of simulates human conversation. Yeah. Anything you'd add to that, Carolyn? No, I mean, first of all, that opening line of that article that you wrote, Sean, was, I read it and I was like, yep, that's it exactly. I mean, I think that's key. And the only thing I will say, and I know we're going to get into this, is you get out what you put in. And I think that's what's key about a generative human modeled AI, basically. But I know we're going to get into all that. But no, he covered it. That's pretty good. Carolyn, when you say you get out what you put in, can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think I've been using it for a while and really just trying to oddly break it, which is never going to happen, I realize now. But you get two choices here. You can think about what you put in as your prompt, or you can just play with it. But my point is, if you really take a minute to think before you ask for something, or you ask it to review something or change something, I, I think you have to do the thinking. And so that's what I mean by you get it out what you put in. Sure, if you just put in, tell me this, you're absolutely going to get something back and it may be helpful. But the more you can kind of think about your end goal of what you're trying to get out of it, the better I think your results are. And then certainly that learning that it's doing, which is supposed, well, I know we're going to talk about kind of the fears around it. Some of that, it does start to learn some of that language and it only gets better. And so as you're asking with, whether it's ChatGPT or in another one, It starts to learn what you're putting in and what kind of things you're liking. And you you start to like and prompt it to like great answer or no regenerate this answer or whatever it is. And it starts to really understand what you're putting in and deliver even better results for you. Can each of you explain the role you see chat GPT playing in internal communications and maybe how people are using it? And Sean, let's start with you. As you're working on that series, How are people using it? And what is the role do you expect it's going to play? Well, too soon to fully understand the role it's going to play. A lot of people are asking, for example, on best practices for using AI or chat GPT. And I'm saying best practices, we're, we're still in experimenting phase. Like we need to design these practices as we go along. But right now I see it as a valuable virtual assistant, junior associate slash intern has some very basic capabilities and can give anyone a head start where you're just running out of time or you've never been confronted with that question or problem before and you're facing a blank page and just don't know where to start. I think a platform like ChatGPT can give you that head start, can knock off hours and hours and hours of your work week just by putting together 
uh, a response to a simple prompts. Like, for example, let's say you are new in your internal comms career and you're two years in and the CEO wants to send a message to employees about the death of an employee, a high-profile employee. Well, how often do you write notes from the CEO expressing grief about the passing of a colleague? Well, maybe you ask ChatGPT for that first draft just, just to get a sense of what that would even sound like and where to even go rather than just trying to start from scratch. I see it as a first draft jumpstarter. Yeah. What about you, Carolyn? I, I know we've talked a lot about this. You're the one that really sort of introduced it to me. And I was really taken back just the stuff you were writing in it. So I wonder if you would talk about the role you see it playing and then maybe some examples like Sean just gave what you're using it for. I, I love the example Sean gave of, of it being that junior associate or that intern. For me, I'm using it as an extra set of eyes, right? When I've been on internal comms teams where they've been big and we've had a very detailed editorial process where you're getting input from all the right people. Now, being on a smaller team, that's kind of the direction. I'm using it for a million different things. But when it comes to sort of similar to what Sean was saying, I'm using it almost like a gut check. And so I will generate something for myself and then put it in there and say, make this better or put this in a different tone or summarize this for me, right? And so I'm kind of using it for all kinds of things. I'm using it for brevity. I'm a long-form writer. I tend to write more than I should. And so I'll put in something and say, hey, make this more brief for me. And the key here, I think, is that, and this is what I think Sean was getting at, is it's, it's really a again, put in, put out kind of thing. So I'm not putting something in and taking it exactly, right? I need to read it for the voice and tone of what my CEO might say or what the tone or voice of the company is. But it really becomes that gut check for me. And I really like using it for areas that I consider my blind spots. So I've always been in a comms role, right? I'm a good communicator. I'm a decent writer. I know how to handle crowds. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a product marketer or manager, and I'm not in sales, right? And so often what I'm doing is taking my biased writing, right? Because everything we're individually writing is biased. I literally will say in chat GPT, like for a sales associate, a young sales associate, tell me how you would say this for English second language, engineering, super analytical person. Again, all of that you take with a grain of salt because there's bias throughout it. But for me to check my own bias that way has been hugely helpful. So I'm using it there that way a lot, just to, again, check my bias and and write more brief. And I think that's a concept that we're talking about chat GPT, but there are so many other things out there and other tools. I use chat GPT a lot, but I use a lot of other tools. And one of the other ones that I use very frequently is called Verb. And it is very much for fictional writers. And I use my stuff to then articulate a story. Like, tell me a story about an employee whose benefits were just taken away. And then I can kind of get myself into the mode of the person, like this, the character. So I'm kind of doing that a lot too, to just try to trigger my corporate brain into more of a storytelling brain as well. So again, I think endless. If I hadn't used it, I would be hearing this thinking in my head that this is a really complex tool to use. Carolyn, can you kind of just walk through, if you had to write almost a help guide, right? You open ChatGPT, how you say, 
help me with this document, have it more concise and and be more simple. Can you really just kind of walk through how the simplicity of it? So this all goes back actually to probably the early 90s when you think about how, when we introduced search engines, right? When search engines were created, you were looking for a word, right? We started to see over, let's say, 97 to 2007, we started to see a shift in how people searched for information very intentionally. And I'll give you just a personal example. I've said this before on this podcast, but I was at Yahoo for a really long time and had the opportunity to analyze search trends. And one of the things that we saw really clearly is people went from typing in a word, right? Like Britney Spears. Okay. That's a great example because she was the top 10 search person for very many years to what's going on with Britney Spears. How old is Britney Spears? Who is Britney Spears? When is Britney Spears' next album? So you started to see the contextual searching change. That is the headspace I want people to get in when they're using AI. Is I want them to get out of the like, I'm going to type a word in and go into that curiosity. You know, I think about my daughter who's nine. The way she would ask me a question is the way that I'm approaching all of the AI things so that I'm getting neat. It is simple. You just need to change your mindset a little bit and ask it like you're asking a person and going in with this kind of reporter-like curiosity and treating it like a reporter. That's how you're going to get the meat mostly out of it and start to teach it to answer questions. Sean, what would you say? Do you think it's simple or...? Yeah, it's it's very simple. And I think that's that's one of two ways I I would think about how to use ChatGPT. The first thing that people should think about is the name. It literally says chat in the name. And it's a chat bot. So you can just ask it questions. It'll give you an answer. And then you can ask it to follow up or to refine it or to revise it. I mean, it's a, it's a chat thread. It's like you're texting a virtual assistant. So you can have that kind of conversation. The user interface is simple. There's just one text box on the page. So having that mindset of being able to ask more thoughtful questions is a great way to start with chat GPT. But the next iteration of that is to assign chat GPT a virtual assistant persona. And you may not know the questions to ask, but you can just tell it, give me a head start on something. So if if I think about an example for that, this week I am doing some live reporting for an internal-only conference, and our company uses Yammer as, as our internal chat platform, a platform that is new to me. So I can ask ChatGPT, how would you report live from an internal conference using Yammer. It gave me an answer, at least something to start with. It was more technical about how to set it up in the back end and use certain features and functionalities. But me being unfamiliar with the platform, like it just gave me a head start and, and a way to start thinking about how to use Yammer in, in this instance. So asking questions and getting more precise with that is one thing and having a conversation with chat gpt but the other is just like hey i need you to do something for me because i've never confronted this in my life before where do i start i do i do want to just put in a word of caution cuz you're both talking about putting stuff in copying something from work 
to get something back. And I think it's important to people hear this more than once, probably throughout this podcast, that it's, you really shouldn't be putting, you know, proprietary information from work in. What are you hearing about that, Sean? With our listeners out there, what, what would you tell them about what you should and should not put into it? Yeah, that's a great point. And I should even be clearer with the example that I just gave because Chat GPT, for example, is is banned at the company that I work for. So I when I'm talking about Chat GPT in that example, I'm I'm talking about AI in general because there are a lot of these chatbots out there. The second is I absolutely do not put any information about my company into any of these AI platforms. With that example about how do I provide live updates from an internal conference using a certain chat platform, there's nothing about my company in that kind of prompt, nothing about my CEO, nothing about the products we make, nothing about our employees, nothing about where the, where the conference is happening. The reason you want to keep this kind of information about yourself, your personal life, and your company out of these AI platforms is that they own the data. The information is stored on their servers. It is vulnerable to cyber attacks. And the last thing that you want is to be compromising your company or your personal information should a leak occur. Carolyn, anything you want to add to that? A couple of things. I mean, I think one, it is a little bit of the wild, wild west, right? I mean, I think it is a little bit, it is certainly worrisome. I, to- I agree with everything Sean said. I also, there are, I think recently they chat chat GPT, which my goodness, we've tripped over the name so many times, which is funny. It makes me think like, yeah. we got we to call it something different. But a couple things. One, there is an incognito mode that can be used. You can turn off any record of your chat. So that's some options. There's some articles in the last couple of weeks that talk about that. But yes, I very intentionally will strip any information that I think is proprietary or personal it actually, I find it does not limit the results at all. You can even put in pretend companies. So I, I think it is smart to be cautious. I also think we're going to see people who are more cautious in life, right? So I'm one of these people where my mother will never give me her credit card information over text, right? I find that to be silly. It's not silly. I think it is absolutely a warranted fear. I think it's the same kind of thing. You're going to see people who are more comfortable, I just think we don't know what the results will be. And I think Sean's warning there is it's risky. And so I think just being smart about it, the same way you would treat anything external that's internal, you should be treating it in that same way. But check out the incognito mode and the ability to turn off your chat record and history. That's one kind of quick tip you can do. And I would encourage people to be using it on their personal devices you know, making that choice for themselves and not necessarily their their corporate given devices. Let's move into our, our segment, Story Time. Welcome to Story Time. Story Time. Story Time. Let me tell you a story. Sean, I got to say it, you're Mr. Editorial. That shouldn't be a huge shock to anyone. I mean, your name and your bio and your About Me stuff is on Mr. Editorial. I'm a huge fan of Mr. Editorial. I look forward to getting your your newsletters and going through your published content. I use your archive almost like it's its own Google, you know, just to see what's out there, what I can pull from, what I can learn from. It's an amazing resource for folks. If any of your listeners haven't gone there, just go to Mr. Editorial and check out his website. 
you're, you're an important thought leader in this space, as is Carolyn. For our listeners, maybe who don't know what Mr. Editorial is, can you give us a brief overview of Mr. Editorial? Tim, and thank you so much for being a devoted reader and friend for those compliments. And Mr. Editorial started almost exactly three years ago in May 2020, right when the pandemic was starting to rage. And it started as a lead gen, honestly. Transitioned to do some independent consulting. My now wife and I knew we were moving to the West Coast where I had limited name recognition. So I decided I would start a newsletter to start and get, start and get my name out to do some lead generation prospecting for some consulting work. But it's evolved. It, it now has thousands of readers from all around the world, which shocks and surprises and, and flatters and humbles me. And I think there are three things that make the, the newsletter succeed. One is that I'm providing tips and best practices and tricks for communications professionals, which we need because all of our work is behind firewalls and it's really hard to like Google for examples and screenshots and on how to do our job and see how other people are doing it. So people are desperate for this kind of information and I, I try and help them out that way. The second is I'm a practitioner. That consulting gig lasted a hot minute. I'm back in the corporate world. I am in the trenches. I'm one of us. I'm one of the people. I understand the struggle and kind of in the foxholes with them. I'm not some on high consultant or somebody who's retired speaking from the clouds on how to do things. I'm like, yeah, well, the struggle is real inside the trenches here and and, and I'm there with you. And the third is, I think I get to say a lot of things that other people are thinking, but aren't necessarily allowed to say at their work for whatever reason. So I feel like based on the comments and feedback that I get from my readers that I'm often holding up a mirror to their own experiences and saying something that that we're all feeling, but maybe can't say because of professional decorum or politics or whatever it may be. So I love writing. I love editing. I love publishing. I'm good at comms. Mr. Editorial is a natural manifestation of, of all of that. Yeah, people can go to your website and sign up for your newsletter. I highly recommend it. Can you tell us about your current sort of corporate job? You're, you're doing the work, you know, you're in the trenches. Can you tell me just a little bit about what you do outside of Mr. Editorial? Yeah, I have an amazing job. I have a fancy title. I am the editor-in-chief of digital publications for Lamb Research, a company nobody's ever heard of, but yet is a $65 billion market cap company. It's in the semiconductor industry. <laughs> Speaking of AI, my company helps enable the microchip manufacturing that powers AI. But what's great is that I'm in a mixed kernel communications role. I am editor-in-chief of the internal news and our blog. And so it is a very rare position in corporate communications to have somebody who straddles the line between internal and external storytelling. It's almost exclusively internal or external. If it's external, it's often with the marketing team. So it's a, a really rare role. And it's the reason why I joined the company because the communications leadership, they recognize the future of corporate communications is the blending of internal and external into external. And 
happy to join an organization that has that foresight and to help be a pioneer and a vanguard in, in the direction that I think our function will grow. I feel like I want to have you back on, Sean, just to talk about this role, the internal, the external. I know a lot of internal comms folks, including myself, when I was more of a practitioner, struggled with that, right? External does their thing, internal does their thing, and almost neither the two, the twain shall meet or something, you know, but I may be, may be reaching back out again. Carolyn, Carolyn, you are to this podcast what Steve Martin is to SNL. This is your third <laughs> time on, on Cohesion. You nice. We have to send you a plaque that's like most appearances right. by a guest. Just remind our listeners quickly who you are. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. And it's so good to be here again. And the conversations are always great. And I love getting to be on with people like Sean, who I just super admire and read their stuff obsessively like you do, Amanda. So I kind of have lived in that practitioner life for almost my whole career and joined Simpler officially almost a year ago. And I have this really awesome job where I get to do the practitioner work still a little bit, which I still love to do. And I get to talk across the industry to other internal comms and HR comms leaders and understand their hopes and desires and dreams, and then meet internally with our product team and really get into the nuts and bolts of what we're building at Simpler to advance the internal comm and frankly, this external world, which I, I love that phrase of, of that kind of convergence between ex- external and internal, which are more and more just kind of converging. And then I get to do fun stuff like talk all the time and read. And that I think is the most exciting part about my job. Don't don't tell my boss, but I obsessively all day get to research and read what's going on in the communications, in the HR space. And as somebody who lived in that practitioner life for so long, I would have tabs and tabs and tabs of articles I wanted to read constantly and not be able to get to them because of the day-to-day work. And so I spend a lot of time reading and researching and thinking, which is really exciting and makes me want to go back to college because it is like getting to appreciate that deep research. And I probably get 30 newsletters and I prioritize a few, but I try to get through them and really understand what's happening. So yeah, so that's my, my gig. And I do have a consulting business on the side. So I still get to do a little bit of consulting, which is really fun and kind of helping internal comms folks and also employer branding teams figure out their, their path. Right. Thank you. Well, thank you again both for being here. I'm going to move us into our next segment, Getting Tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. Tactics. Let's get back to this chat GPT AI stuff. We had a nice fun moment. Now back in the trenches here, because we haven't really even scratched the surface. So well, I want to dig in much deeper so our listeners can get a better understanding. What are some ways you two both see ChatGPT AI has already begun to improve and transform internal comms or HR within companies? Carolyn, let's start with you. Yeah, I think the two biggest tactical ways that I'm most excited about right now, and again, this changes every day. I, I'm, I think the possibilities are so exciting, but two kind of tactical things. One I don't know how much time I've spent in my career creating FAQs around every single topic 
all the time, spending so much time doing that. And very, very tactically, I am using ChatGPT to create FAQs constantly. And it is saving tremendous amount of time. And just to get really specific, things that I'll do is I'll put in a, what would, and I gave this example with the personas. So I keep a persona in my mind and I say, okay, what would, you know, a mid-level sales associate ask about X, right? Their boss is leaving, their company is going public, they missed their numbers, whatever it is. And it auto-generates, and I will even tell it how many, give me 10, give me 30. It automatically will generate those questions. And so for me to be able to then take those, put them somewhere, and then really start to curate them, that amount of time I would have spent thinking and asking and researching, I'm now able to get really quickly. So tactically, I'm loving the speed. The speed at which I can get things done, I think is huge. And then... Second, for me, the biggest thing I'm using it, and I, I talked about this, is gut checking bias and put in a message. And again, totally anonymously, right? I'm not letting people know who it's coming from, but putting in a message, if you were in this role, how would you receive this message? So again, I'm, I'm kind of very tactically using it for those quick auto-generating things for me and then gut checking persona-based things. And I know this seems like an obvious answer, but I, I just want to ask it. How long does it take to get the information back when you when you put in specifically those questions of that persona with that problem? It's instantaneous. I mean, it liter- literally, it is instant. Now, I will refine my question. And this is what I think we were talking about earlier is like, you need to, you, you have to shift the way you're asking questions. And really, as, as Sean shared, thinking about it like a conversation. It is a chat bot. So thinking about it that way. So I forget that. Once I'm in the flow, then I can ask and it will just continually generate based on what I'm asking and refining. But it is instant. Yeah, I can see it type out right there in front of you. Just question, 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 question. Sean, what about you? How are you seeing it improve and transform communications? I'm not really yet. Now, I can't speak too much about HR. It's a space I don't have much experience in, but I know for more than 10 years, HR has been using AI to filter and read resumes as a first round of of recruiting, for example. But how HR is really using it, I'm not too sure. For corporate communications, again, I think we're too soon. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, comms pros are like notoriously slow to pick up on new technology. I mean, remember when like five, eight years ago, everybody was like, we need an app, we need an app. And how quickly that happened five, 10 years after the, the app store opened up in, in Apple and so on. So I think comms pros are are too slow to pick up on on new technology in general. And I think we're also, especially for internal comms, one of the last functions to get the budget resources that are needed to invest in these new technologies. So I think it's the transformation that we're seeing on the corporate communication side is happening on the individual level. It's happening on the fringes and it's happening with those who are ambitious. 
because, as I said in the introduction to my initial piece on IntelliComs and talking about artificial intelligence and communications work, AI will not replace you, but somebody using AI will. And so I think those who are experimenting with the technology right now on an individual level within their teams, maybe their team doesn't even know that they're using it. Those are the places that we're seeing a little bit of traction. I think for general purposes of like whole teams experimenting with AI technology, I think the safest place and the most fun is probably with image generation. Because when you are asking AI to help create an image, it's it's kind of it's a benign act because you're not asking it to write a memo in a certain CEO's voice about a sensitive topic like layoffs or anything like that. Many communications teams don't have a multimedia artist within the function, but you need graphics to entice readers to, to your material. So why not experiment with something like Dolly or Midjourney to create graphics, arresting graphic uh, for, for your internet story in a matter of seconds without having to tap a consulting service for thousands of dollars for a piece of artwork. So I think when people start experimenting with something as benign as image generation, it could be the gateway drug to using chat AI tools. I mean, there are hundreds of tools out there that, that we're not even touching on. So I, I don't really see too much influence in it right now. I can count on, on my hand right now the comms pros who I think are actually seriously talking about AI and corporate communications. And I'm talking with one of them in this podcast right now. I'm finding the more that I use it, actually, the more anxious and nervous I get. I, the, it's this combo of excitement. You're talking about mid-journey and you're right. I think the gateway is on some of the image generating. But recently, I generated headshots for myself and just to play. And my mind went so far in the fear factor, right? Things, so many scary things imagining, right? Like me as a persona who's not really me, if something were to happen to me in the future. I mean, it, it not to take us in a dark road, but I think that the more that I'm digging into it all, the more anxious I'm getting and excited, but I, on the imagery front, as a someone that's also a creative on the side and an artist, I'm starting to get super anxious about all of that as well. So I, I just think we are so much at the infancy of all of this that you're exactly right, Sean. I mean, I think we could have the same conversation in three months and we're going to have a completely different conversation because nobody knows. But are you all experiencing that? The more you're using it, is it making you more comfortable, more anxious, both? I mean, me personally, when you've shown it to me, I'm like, oh, that's neat. I'm going to go in and try it. And then as I play, I realize I don't even fully understand its power, which gives me some, you know, a little bit of anxiety that there's so much there that I don't know. I don't even know how to use it fully yet, which makes me nervous. I can't, it's hard to describe what that means. It's it's like the idea of like, maybe looking at an elephant and they say you have to eat the whole thing. And the, you know, the, the joke is you eat it one bite at a time. And I'm trying to think of how to consume it in one bite. So I know that that's also sort of a dark metaphor, but I, I don't fully understand its power and what it actually can and can't do. And I know that's still being built and will continue to evolve, but I, 
that's where my anxiety comes from. I know I've heard, like you said, Carolyn, the artist having a real problem with this. And I do want to talk about sort of the dark side about it. But before we move on, I, I want to let Sean, I want to hear how you feel about it because I'm very curious if you're anxious or what, what your feelings are. Yeah. Well, Carolyn, let me ask you, do you consider yourself an AI expert? Oh, God, no. No. And so you're one of the very few people who I know who are taking AI and comms seriously. I am into this every single day. I've got so many spreadsheets, so many reports, so many thoughts about it. And I would not call myself an expert either. And yet I think you and I know more than 99% of corporate comms professionals out there. Now, that said, Neither one of us admit we are experts in this technology. And I look at what the actual experts out there are saying and doing. And they're kind kind of freaking out a little bit. And we're recording it on a day in which hundreds of AI professionals signed a one-sentence statement. It's about extinction, wasn't it? Yeah, it says mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. And then it's signed by hundreds of actual AI experts, i.e. the people who built this technology. That story is appearing everywhere, right? It's not. It wasn't just on the New York Times. I know that's where I got the the notification from, and then I googled it because there was a paywall, and it's like it's everywhere. So like PC Mag, like so, I was able to go in and read it. That really struck me as I'm getting ready for this podcast to talk to you all. That they're they're saying there's a risk of extinction, <laughs> not to be a yeah. doomsdayer, but that feels like the ultimate doomsdayer. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of things happening there. One is it's you're going to read about it because it's alarmist and media loves alarming stories. The second is I think it is a bunch of cover-your-ass activity happening right now. We have all the engineers and, I, I don't know, psychologists and philosophers and programmers who have created this technology and unleashed it, and now they're kind of apologizing for it and or uh, trying to distance themselves from it, from the negative consequences of the monsters that they released. I think there is mostly sincerity here because I think that the individuals who signed that kind of statement believe themselves to be the trusted individuals who can help usher AI technology forward in a way that doesn't harm us. I think they're sincerely worried about nefarious actors leveraging AI technology to do bad things and tear society apart but i also think at the same time they're like we we were against nuclear war caused by robots we said so in a statement back in 2023 so don't blame us but i mean they built it so let's dig into that because it's not i mean i feel like risk of extinction is like the worst possible outcome so everything else i'm about to say is really bad as well but not as bad as full-on human extinction, but you have tech leaders like Elon Musk and Jeffrey Hinton, who's actually the godfather of AI, right? He left his role at Google and blew the whistle on this, but they're they're coming out and saying this, this has some serious dangers to society or risks to society, right? I mean, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, there's chatbots that can learn racist behavior. I mean, there's so much bad that could come from this. And I, I just want to know what you all are hearing 
about this and maybe even provide some examples. I know, Carolyn, you and I have talked about the the Pentagon when when there were photos that it had been bombed or was on fire and that that had really upset you. And, and, and when I looked, it was very disturbing. So I would love to hear from the both of you about the dangers and what you're actually seeing happen. I think what I go back to is the same fundamentals of everything that I've learned in communications, which is what I call the the me questions. I go straight to that. When I think about all of this, like extinction, terrible, terrible, terrible. But I can't even conceptualize that. For me, I go to the things that affect me, right? Things like exactly what you said, like the situation at the Pentagon, what that did, what that really, as somebody who's been in the media previous to comms, I started to really think about reliable sources and the definition of reliable sources and how that is going to drastically change because of this and how people are going to have to wade into that reliable sources water that don't normally, right? Many corporations stay away from that space. They're going to have to change their stance and and say, look, these are the, these are the places that are reputable, right? Or which is a whole nother conversation. I go very much, it's because I'm a mom, I go very much into the, all of what you're talking about, the fears that I personally have around, I mean, it gets so dark so fast. So I don't, I don't even, I can't even go there in my mind. But what I will say is I think naturally humans are going to go to the me situation. And that is where I would start to think about those worries. I think about my aging parents and already my fears around scams and things like that, the, the possibilities become endless of, of fear for me and when it comes to that. So I think we are right to be cautious. I think we are right to think that we are, we are literally at the baby stage, not even like the one day old baby. Yet at the same time, I can list all of these fears that I personally have. And I can list a lot of benefits I've been seeing over the last like four months that have drastically helped open my eyes. So it is a very complex place. But I think being worried and being cautious is better than being not. I don't even know if I answered your question there, Amanda, because my brain, I just go spin off into the bad scenario. <laughs> it's worrisome and exciting. It's confusing. Yeah, it is very confusing. I think for me, that's where that anxiety rests, right? It's right where the intersection of anxiety or excitement and and scariness. What about you, Sean? What do you think about some of this? Like, it, I mean, I want to call them unfounded fears, but it's more like possibilities of what could happen. I don't think any of it's unfounded. And anybody who's read Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near should have a sense that the end might possibly be near too if bad actors get a hold of artificial intelligence. I think the most immediate effects that we will see on the negative side are around disinformation, and that's fake photos, fake video, fake audio. Already, platforms like Spotify are removing thousands and thousands and thousands of AI-generated music. Russia right now is using AI-generated technology for propaganda in in their war in Ukraine. They're using it on the Ukraine side. They're using it on the, the Russian side. I guarantee you that in the 2024 U.S. presidential election, we will contend with fake video, fake audio, and fake photography, maybe even from an outside actor trying to manipulate the U.S. election. I think Jonathan Haidt, who is a a social psychologist, among other things, has a lot to 
say about how AI will ramp up the negativity and rage and misinformation in social media, which will have a vicious cycle against our news cycle and and the way we perceive our fellow citizens and so on. So I think disinformation is the most immediate and real fear for me. I think it has potential to tear society apart. Our American society is already fragile. And I think the the volume on, on this misinformation will be ratcheted up. Ironically, many people are talking about how AI will be needed to spot AI-generated content and mark it as valid or manipulated. So that's, that's, that's one thought on like what, what I'm afraid of. On the other hand, I think anybody who's seriously interested in artificial intelligence and its effect on society should approach the individuals who are in the media talking about this with a critical eye. Jeffrey Hitton is considered the godfather of AI. He retired from Google to speak out about the dangers of AI. But guess what? Jeffrey Hitton built that AI. So, like, weren't you aware of these dangers all along while you were building it and collecting your fat Google paycheck? And now that you're doing all right, it's okay for you to retire and speak out about this? Like, where were you when when you were building it for Google? And when Elon Musk speaks out about Chad GPT and slowing down the advancements in artificial intelligence. Well, Elon Musk is a co-founder of OpenAI, which started Chad GPT. And Elon Musk is starting his own competing AI platform. So I think he's less about the dangers of AI and more about falling behind in the marketplace and he wants to catch up. So when when people are speaking out, like who are they? Where are they coming from? And Weren't you aware of all this all along? Why didn't you tap the brakes before you released the monster here? So just think critically about the voices we're, we're seeing out there. If, if as a society we could look at what people are saying and then what they're doing privately, if people speaking out against A, but then they're profiteering from A as well, that's a very, very common thing happening. It's really hard for me to go from talking about extinction to just a fear <laughs> that our listeners might have. I want to I want to sort of step back on that what we were just talking about because it is very dark and I feel like we could spend another 15 hours the three of us just just really going through and we could get our tinfoil hats on and some of that but no seriously. But I, I do want to point out the chat GPT cuz what one of the fears and it's again not exchange extinction level but the fears you're seeing over and over and over. Sean you sort of alluded to this earlier it's going to take my job. If I'm in internal comms and I need to write all the stuff that like Caroline is pointing out, then I can be let go and my boss can just use that. So I'm wondering if you both will speak to that. It's taking my job or I'm afraid it's going to take my job fear that's out there in public. And Sean, I'll start with you because you brought it up about you won't be replaced by it, but if you don't use it, then that's going to be a disadvantage. So would you mind speaking to that? Yeah. I don't think AI will replace you, but somebody using AI will. I also think that the number of jobs in our industry will just, you know, there will be fewer because one person can do more using these technologies. Or, I don't know, maybe it's the same. Maybe it's the same amount of jobs and people's time is spent more on 
thoughtful, strategic work rather than rote, repetitive, junior level material. So five years ago, there was a study of 200 tech applications, and it found that 38% of PR work could be done using AI. So that was five years ago, 38%. Now we have ChatGPT and an explosion of AI tools. I haven't seen a study on this lately, but my guess is 60, 70% of PR work now can be done using AI. So what does that mean for the PR department? Does that mean you still have five people working on PR that are just being more productive and efficient because they're using AI tools to write press releases and media advisories and interview background notes? Or does that mean that department goes from five to one or two and the money is reallocated somewhere else? The point is, those two PR people left standing at the top of the pyramid in their company are using AI. And if they're not, they're being replaced by somebody who is. And so I think that's just the future of of corporate communications. It will be as vital to us as the keyboard to do our work. Carolyn, what do you think about this topic? Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree. I don't think we know yet. I think it's a great statement to say, we're not going to all lose our jobs because of it, but you better get on board to using it. I don't know if that's true or not. I I think things are moving really fast. What I can say is I, I feel pretty confident that the time that communicators spend on things that I would categorize as not strategic and not important are absolutely going to be replaced. What I don't think is going to be replaced is the ability to truly storytell, to truly dig in into a culture. I think we're going to see communicators shifting more into this experience, understanding, like really the humanity, the stuff that you cannot generate, which is emotions and feelings as a result of something unexpected that I don't think I think that AI is going to be able to make assumptions right this the same way that I was talking about building personas right even those beautiful descriptions that AI gives me when I give in a persona it's missing the reality right the humanity of it I think it can pretend that I don't think it can get to that so I think that things are going to start to get reprioritized storytelling understanding emotion human psychology, I think all of those areas are going to continue to thrive. I think your ability to work fast, your ability to write quickly, your ability to create bullets, stuff like that is going to, yes, absolutely is going to go away. But I think there, I have to hope and I kind of living in this hope that the part of my job that I think is the most meaningful, which is connecting with people, telling a story, understanding the human psychology of the workplace, I have to imagine in my heart that that's not going to be replaced and that some of the other things are, I think we don't know. And and I think that fear is what is making people say like, oh, it's going to take my job. Well, then get smart, like start, start using things, start exploring, start reading, start playing and testing, and also start honing what it is that can never be replicated, which is the, again, that 
humanity, that empathy, the things that make a lot of the communicators great communicators, figure out what those things are and really hone those as opposed to your ability to write briefly or to write well or to write in a certain voice. That stuff is just going to become, I think, irrelevant a little bit. I want to turn this just a second and and think about it from an employee experience perspective. We just finished the conversation about how is it going to impact my job. But then as an employee, if your company is using ChatGPT or AI, how might that enhance my employee experience or employee engagement at an organization? I guess the question is, do they know? I mean, I think most people are not going to know. I think that when it comes to sort of generative AI, when it comes to some of the below the surface things like being able to perceive a tone, a feeling, a sentiment based on a comment or a reaction, I think we're going to start to see hopefully quicker responses from organizations in addressing culture concerns, feelings, stuff like that. On the generative side, and I might be, I haven't thought deeply about this section, but I'm just not sure the average employee cares how they get their, like who has written their news. I mean, that's tough for the comms people to hear, but I, I don't I don't think they know if Amanda wrote it or I wrote it or Sean wrote it. They probably think that the CEO wrote it, to be honest. So I don't know, Sean, what do you think? Agree with that. Employees don't care where the information comes from as long as they get it. Many may or may not be able to spot generative content. I know when I use Dolly at the beginning of the year to create artwork to accompany an intranet story. Hey, look, as a tech company, a lot of people spotted that it was Dolly generated art. And actually, the artwork in that story generated more comments than the actual content. I think people were just happy to see Dolly appear on the inside. But I think you're right, AI is going to have a bigger role to play in workflows and information sharing with employees. And they, again, may or may not realize that AI is, is under the hood powering all that. General Motors did a study a while ago on what they deem social AI and how documents, information were surfaced for employees on, on the desktop. And what they found was AI revealing these documents or people connections, or employees or projects that they didn't know existed, but were popping up in their feeds because of keywords and, and history and browsing. It made them more productive, more efficient. It actually increased their happiness. It decreased attrition among that workforce and increased the quality of the output. So I think AI will actually have a bigger influence on how employees connect with each other and share and find information. And it's the generative AI that they could probably care less about. And the only other thing I was going to say, I think that is going to have an impact is, is context. And I think the ability to get quick context on things, either in, both internally and externally, I think will also impact the employee experience. We as communicators spend a lot of time, right? Thinking about you're putting information out. You try to share the context of that as it relates to things in the past. That's a process. That's a long process that we spend time on. I think that AI is going to speed up that contextual understanding, which I think speeds up workflow productivity. And I think is going to cause even more 
engagement, both negative and positive, and or if you could say engagement is negative or positive, but engagement, right? Because they are going to have more context that they didn't have before. And I think we're that communicators are going to need to be even smarter because people are going to have context that sometimes they didn't even think of related to history of a company, related to a specific situation. So I think that's going to be another one to really kind of keep an eye on is as more and more people get comfortable with the idea that they can get more context on things, that they're going to use that context as they should to push their employers, to push their bosses, their managers for even more context. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a cycle that I don't think many of us are prepared for yet. Can, can you give me an example of that, Caroline, what you're talking about? Yeah. So, you know, if you are really basic, let's say you're really trying to rally your employees about your the quarter you've just had, right? You've had a really, really great quarter. And you go out and you're, you've got a communicator who does their research, right? And they say, this is the best quarter we've had. Here's X, Y, and Z. Very, very quickly, people are going to be able to, if they're interested, and I, again, they, there is an inherent interest that has to happen to say, oh, Hey, chat GPT, give me the entire rundown of every quarter for the last 15 years of this company, the pluses and minuses. And I think they could come back and say, well, hold on a second. This quarter absolutely was great. But based on all the research I did in two seconds, it looks like 15 years ago, we had a very similar quarter that had the similar results. And then we had a big dip. Or so, like, again, something. It's just the ability to access information quickly, distilled without the depth of research. And I think, again, that's the way that communicators need to start thinking about, not because I think communicators are hiding it, or I just think it's, again, it's bandwidth. You're, you're putting something together. You do not have the bandwidth to do 15 years of research on every single quarter of a company you've been at for two years. But soon, if not now, you have access, the whole world is going to have access to that. And I think we're going to see it on the external side, hugely. That's kind of my very basic. I mean, there's probably a gazillion more examples. Like that. Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. We're running low on time here. And honestly, we haven't even scratched the surface. We've talked about all the stuff it can do. But there are things that we know already that we know it can't do right now or won't be able to do in the future. Sean, let's start with you. I don't know about the future, but right now, as we've mentioned before, it doesn't understand context doesn't understand the context of your organization. And so the output from something like ChatGPT may be inappropriate. Most importantly, it's not creative. Generative AI creates content based on content that already exists. It doesn't have much ability to come up with something original. And that's where the human using AI or not, can stand out against this technology. The other thing is like generative AI doesn't handle rare events very well. Because again, it's basing its answers on things that have already existed or happened. So if you confront an activity or an event or a circumstance that you need assistance with that just hasn't happened before, you're not going to get much help there. So those are some of the things. And, you know, it can't love you. Yeah. 
Yes. (laughs) It's funny that you said that when I was showing it to my husband, I was just showing him, I told it to write a song by one of our favorite artists to see what about this topic. Yeah, I saw Carolyn's, have it write a Taylor Swift song about a topic that you love, Carolyn. But then I, I was I was showing him and I was reading a new I was in the middle of reading a news story and I asked Chat GPT to summarize this brand new news event that had been going on for a couple of weeks and it couldn't do it. And then it said, if it's prior to this date, I probably won't be able to give you much information. So that was a limitation I saw that sort of dovetails off of the ones you just talked about. Carolyn, what are you seeing in terms of what it can't do or real limitations rather than what Sean said? I think about writing on behalf of someone. So for example, our CEO has a very distinct style and voice. And I think it can learn his style and voice. Absolutely. And generate things that sound just like him. What it cannot do is account for the day-to-day flux of our personal emotion, our personal changes in context and thought. And so I think that I could ask it to generate something really, really like nail on the head from our CEO, but it cannot tell me how he's feeling that day and how that feeling influences the way he's directing the company in that moment. And that is going to come from two things. It's going to come from the individual and it is going to come from human connection that somebody has with that person to understand and talk to them in that moment. So I think we can get really close to really replicating voice and tone of a person. AI is never going to be that person and have those same human interactions, fears, joys. And then 100% what Sean said about the creative piece. I, I don't consider myself a creative writer, but people that I know who are, I read something they've written and I know they've written it. There's authors in history that we've seen this I have never once read something by chat GPT, by generative anything that I've thought that is miraculous. I've never seen anything like that. It is always, I can spot it in a second. And I don't think that is going to change. I think they're going to replicate, but I don't think they'll ever be that sort of big magic moment as Elizabeth Gilbert would call it, that happens in true creatives, that it can never be that. Uh, it can try and it's going to try and it is trying now, but it's not going to get there. Yeah. I think as soon as you, the first time you do something like come up the list of FAQs, you see, I don't know if the generic is the right word, but almost not creative, generic that it comes with. It's like, like you both have said, it's a great starting point to, to cover that first maybe hour or two, you'd be sitting there racking your brain, but it doesn't, doesn't really get to the heart of what you're looking for sometimes. Well, let's get into our last segment, Asking for a Friend. Just asking for a friend. Hey, asking for a friend. I want to make sure that our listeners understand sort of what's at stake here. So I'm wondering if either of you have resources that we can point folks to about security and ethics when it comes to AI chat GPT. Sean, let's start with you. Let me preface this by saying ethics and security are very specialized areas around AI. And I wouldn't expect any comms person to become an expert in this area. 
we do a lot of communications with our employees within organizations. Are we experts in organizational psychology? We use technology platforms. Are we necessarily experts in cybersecurity? Or do we understand supply chain ethics around the computers that we're assigning to new employees? I wouldn't ask our fellow comms rads to you know, freak out about not being expert in, in the security space around this. But I do think they should have some general awareness and knowledge uh, of the topic. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're already on the right track, I think if you just follow Sam Altman, who is one of the founders of OpenAI and the creator of ChatGPT, I think he's doing a very good job of trying to explain ethical concerns around his company's technology. He's on a lot of podcasts. You can find him in the media, seek him out. I think he is a thoughtful individual. And he was recently testifying in front of Congress about this very topic. I think IBM has a good primer on AI and ethics. So you can just Google IBM primer AI ethics and you'll find it. And I think if you want to get into the weeds around cybersecurity, ethics, and technical concerns, you can go to Anthropic's website. Anthropic is another AI technology company that actually tries to be ethically minded in the in their output. So they have a lot of white papers that are generally readable by a lay audience. I mean, I think for me, there's a couple of really simple things that I'm doing. One very basic, I've set up Google Alerts with a gazillion keywords related to sort of the era in general, but also some of the ethics. So that's one, right? Like at your basic, even reading headlines is helpful. I think you need to have it somewhere implanted in the back of your mind to be thinking of. I get a ton of newsletters on this topic. Some are helpful, some are not. They almost always touch at least once a week on something related to ethics and some of the fears and concerns. So I just try to really keep myself up to date. I also have been, I don't have this set yet. I wish I did so I could share with everybody, but I've been kind of trying to track some of the leading higher education professors and researchers to see what they're putting out. Many of them are not putting out a lot yet for the same reasons that Sean just said, this is just, again, the beginning. There's it's so, But I'm kind of tracking a couple of those people. I'm happy to share once I get my list complete. I'm a big fan of just following researchers in general. So I'm just trying to really get as much as I can. I wish I had the energy to read white papers. I'm too busy reading all these newsletters, I guess. I think the key here is, yes, if you can go deep and follow some of these people, please do it. If you can't, making sure that at the back of your mind, it is in there. And I think that's going to take repetitively bring that topic up and being aware of it. I would honestly argue, keep it in the front of your mind. I I, I really like that, Sean, you pulled out, like since we're not experts in all these very specific topics and industries, it's hard to tell the ethics and the concerns around very specific parts of this. So We've seen the media, you got to be careful not to be a doomsdayer when it comes to it. You got to really find a balance to strike. And when you get overwhelmed, maybe step away. It has a lot of good and a lot of bad, I'm sure, involved in it as well. There's a lot of froth out there right now. And I think you don't need to stay on top of the day-to-day movements. 
check in once a week or once every three weeks. There's so much to talk about in the news. And it's the hot topic right now. It'll it'll simmer down or settle down. So you've got time to catch up. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carolyn and Sean, this has been so much fun. I really enjoyed this. I think we should do this again. Maybe we could come back on again and get to the 15, 20 <laughs> questions I didn't get to. <laughs> so thank you both very much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know about Carolyn, but I'm keeping a spreadsheet and I've got hundreds of AI tools that I'm starting to track. And I, have, I haven't even dabbled in 85, 90% of them. So this is a landscape that is evolving and is worth reconnecting, retouching, revisiting regularly over the next couple of years, really. Maybe we come back in a year and we see what's changed, right? Oh my God, everything will have changed in a year. (laughs) Maybe three months. (laughs) Where you have to re-listen to this first podcast and then we come back and just sort of like, wow, boy, were we right about this and boy, were we wrong about this. Anyway, before I let you both go for the day, let let our listeners know where they can find you. They may have a lot of questions. Where can they reach out to you? Sean, let's start with you. I'll plug my Substack newsletter again, Mr. Editorial, spelled out, mreditorial.substack.com. If you subscribe to the free version there, you can always hit reply and connect with me that way. Otherwise, LinkedIn. Great. And Carolyn? And LinkedIn is, is the best way. And then, of course, all things simpler and carolynjordanclark.com if you can get in, directly in touch. And please do, like, and please call us on things that you we didn't talk about that you want to hear us talk about or that you you think we were wrong about. I think this is the key with this is that, as Sean said, like I, I am so far from an expert on AI that I'm hungry to learn. So connect with me and let's learn together. Great. Thank you both so much. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the leading AI-powered employee experience platform. We are on a mission to transform the work experience for billions of people across the world. Organizations use our products to deliver personalized experiences that inspire and engage their employees. When work is good, life is better. Learn more at simpler.com. That's S-I-M-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.